Marina, it's good to see you. I wasn't here last week, but I know you were here last week, and you've been kind of laying low for a little while. I have. It'll, he'll turn it on. I have, but I'm back, and I am so delighted to be here. It's great to have you back. For those that don't know Marita, because you haven't been seeing her for the last little while, Marita's on staff here part-time. She takes care of our care ministry, and so she ministers to some of the um, older demographic in our church. She also gets meals together for people that need it, whether they're sick or, or in the hospital or just needing a little helping hand. And so that's what she does on staff here for us. It's good to see you. Thank you. So why don't you get us started? What do yeah, we need to know I'll this week? I'll get started. Um, during COVID period, um, we actually did a lot of videotaping here. And what people may not realize is that this wall was actually covered up with drywall. And just this past week, we had a number of men come in. They tore out all the drywall. And look at this beautiful wall. So we just want to thank those guys so much. That's right. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Um, number two, we're going to go in chronological order. So this coming week, you may have seen it in the emails, but this week we do not have any dailies running Monday to Friday. We took a week off over spring break, gave staff a vacation, and uh, as a result, we don't have any dailies, but they will be back again the following week. So if you're in a house church and you're looking for house church questions, there will not be any based on the dailies. Will there be any in general, Andrew? No, you're going to have to... Uh, Floated on your own this week. I have good faith in you. You're going to be fine. Uh, so no dailies this week. They'll be back next Monday. But, but this is super exciting news. We may not have any dailies next week, but next Sunday, we are going live stream as a soft launch. So this is really great. This means it'll be all up and the kinks worked out by Easter. But this means, too, that if you happen not to be able to make it one Sunday because you're under the weather or you've just, your morning doesn't work out, then you can catch us live stream from home. And I want to encourage you to tell all your friends. And we just think that this is an exciting option. And you can invite others that may not normally come here, friends, neighbors, relatives. And they can tune into New Life and see us live. How's that? <laughs> That's right. And where can we find that? You can find that on the New Life website. We'll make it really easy. Not only that, we'll be sending out emails and further details as we move along. Great. Thank you. Yeah, we've been working towards that. So we're, we're excited to start that next week. The last thing, and I feel like this is a bit like when Pastor Andrew gives us our questions on the dailies and he says there's three questions, but then each one has three more questions in between. So this one has a lot of points, but it's Easter. This is our first Easter that we are getting to celebrate together in person since 2019. And so we're really, really excited. So I want to give you some details. We will, of course, be including them. They were in the Friday email this week. All the details are on the website. We have an Easter page on our website, newlifechurch.ca slash Easter week 2022. It's got everything you need to know, but I'm going to give you a quick run through on what's happening so that you can think about what you want to jump in on. Uh, the week leading up to Easter, we have our Seder meal. We used yes. to do that a lot in person, yes. didn't we? And then last year, uh, Pastor Andrew and his family, they videoed a whole Seder meal at their home and walked us through it. And we did that as a church virtually. And it was really, really great just to learn about the different steps in that. So this year, we are making available a booklet. Whoops, whoops. Looks a bit like this. It'll be available next week at the info booth. Um, and you'll be able to pick one of those up if you want. Go through the Seder meal together as a house church, as a family. 
have some friends over. Um, there's going to be links still to last year's video if you want to do it that way. Instead, have Andrew walk you through it or this booklet will help walk you through it and just experience what, what that tradition means. So that's the week leading up to Easter. And if you've never done that, you would so enjoy doing this. So partake. Good. And then Good Friday, we're back for our Good Friday service, one service at 10 o'clock. Uh, together, it'll be about an hour. There will not be childcare as per usual, but children are more than welcome in, in the room. We're really happy to do that. So that'll be our Good Friday service. And then just this last week, I found out that Chuck Thompson is going to be taking the hike to the cross again. I understand the cross is back up at the top of Mount Zuhalem. So one o'clock check. One o'clock, they're going to meet in the parking lot at, um, at the bottom of that hike. And again, that information will be on our website and some contact stuff. So take a hike to the cross with Chuck and others um, after our Good Friday service. And then finally. Yes, the most exciting. The most exciting. Saved the best for That's last. last. There's a lot happening on Sunday morning <laughs> as well. We're starting with a sunrise service. We haven't done that in a really long time, but we thought, why not go big this year, right? Yeah. Um, sunrise service at 6 a.m. We're still scouting out a location, so we're going to, again, this week, let you know where that is. Um, but it's 6 a.m. because the sun rises at 6.20. So uh, for those that want to experience that, it'll be a brief service down on the water somewhere, um, just hearing about that resurrection and what, what it was like on Resurrection Sunday at sunrise. We're going to have two services on Easter Sunday. We're anticipating some crowds, so we'll be back to our 9 and 11. They'll be the same, so no matter which one you come to, you won't miss anything. And because we can, and we haven't got to do this in a really long time, we're going to have a pancake breakfast in between services. So if you're coming to the 9, stay late for breakfast. If you're coming to the 11, come early for breakfast. Either way, we want to see you, and we just want to have a really great time of celebration on Easter. Awesome. Have we Now, is that not a lot for Easter? Can you tell we're excited about Easter? And we're also going to throw it out there, like if you want to give a helping hand during that pancake breakfast, just contact Lana. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you so much. That's our three-ish things. Andrew and Travis are going to come now and share a story. Thanks. You're going to take the short stool. Oh, I was going to give you the big stool. Wow, look at this. I'm in the power stool. Um, well, everyone, uh, good morning. I want to introduce you to Travis Weens. Um, and uh, Travis is an example for me as I think about your story as I've gotten to know you the last few years, that uh, sometimes following Jesus is a different path than we have for ourselves. And so um, six years ago, seven years ago, did you see yourself here today? No, not at all. So I think like most people growing up, I thought my life would be this straight line and it would make sense. And there were all these markers along the way at certain ages that you would hit. But uh, six years ago, I was living in Southern Ontario. I was married. I was a youth pastor and I was co-leading a, a hip hop dance ministry. As one does. As one does. Uh, <laughs> as a big white dude from a Mennonite town, it's... Uh, Ask me about it later. Um, but my life kind of exploded uh, when my wife at the time came to me and, and told me that she was cheating on me and, and that she wanted to leave. Um, and, and in a couple of weeks, I, I left the house. I, uh, she left, and, and I moved into my parents' house and, and kind of 
couple months later, decided to come out to Vancouver Island here, uh, to Camp Kwanos. I wanted to continue to do ministry, uh, but I just needed a bit of space. So, yeah, six years ago was very different than, than where I am today. Mm. And so, uh, what do you see God doing now, as you, as you continue to follow him in just very different ways? What has God up to in, in your life these days? Yeah, so... I, I, seeing God's goodness and faithfulness in it has been incredible. Uh, I, I don't know what each of you have gone through, but uh, to see the the church be the hands and feet of Christ, when when you guys take that seriously, it's, it's the most beautiful thing. Uh, God has used his people and his church to bring healing to my life in incredible ways. At, at camp, most people didn't know my story or where I was coming from, but, but God used them as, as agents of healing in my life. And yeah, I, I have been remarried. Uh, I met my lovely wife, Kim, actually in the foyer here at the seven. Um, yeah, which is so cool. Uh, just, yeah, God's mercy and grace in that, uh, in blessing me with, with Kim has just been incredible. I work with um, Living Stones, so I do landscaping now, and I get to be outside and, and do ministry um, yeah, God is good and he's been faithful to me in my life. And it's, it's so weird to look back and, and think of how different my life is, but, but how good it is. Um, yeah, God is faithful. And even through the, the chaos of it all, he was there. Uh, at the time I was on staff at a church as a youth pastor. And one of the, one of the pastors came to me a couple days after my wife left and, and he gave me this picture of, Christ being a lighthouse in the chaos and in the storm of life. And that's something that I've, I've held on to and, and seen to be true is that Christ is faithful and he is good and he doesn't change. And he is that hope in the chaos of life, no matter where you are. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I've been at. Hmm. And so what would you have to say, perhaps for those of us who um, are sort of at a fork in the road, perhaps in our lives, um, where maybe God has thrown a bit of a curveball, um, you know, having come out of that now and being bearing witness to the goodness of God, even even though life looks very different than you thought it was going to, um, but experiencing blessing and joy and 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 even hearing your heart sharing about ministry while working with with a landscaping crew and being able to pour into these you know in these guys' lives, um, what would you say to somebody who feels like uh, God has thrown them a bit of a curveball right now? Man, that's tough. There is there is no easy answer or, or thing I could, I could tell you, but just be faithful. God is faithful. He is, he is the one that is unchanging. And, and I guess turn your eyes to him. Um, yeah, he is, he is comfort. The Bible talks about God drawing near to the brokenhearted. Um, and, and he does that through us as his body, as his hands and feet. Um, I, I guess as a challenge for me and a challenge for everyone is, is keep your eyes open uh, for those that are hurting and in need of, of a helping hand. Um, yeah, it's, Andrew and I, we were talking yesterday, uh, something that I've been working through and, and wrestling with, with my story and, and in life is um, knowing that in my weakness, God is strong and he is my strength. I think as a, as a North American male, that's a hard thing to admit, is my weakness. And it's something that my pride fights against often, uh, but knowing that in my brokenness and in in my weird story that that God is good, 
and he is, he is the strength. I want to boast in my weakness, as, as Paul talked about in the New Testament, because God is his strength in that. And that's, that's a difficult thing to do. Um, but I think that's my challenge and my hope in, in kind of the messier parts of my story. Hmm. Well, uh, if, uh, if that resonates with you, uh, and, and if you want to hear more about Travis's story or, 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 or sort of talk about what that journey has looked like, um, please, he's not hard to spot in a crowd. Um, just look for the, the broadest shoulders around. Uh, and, and I'm sure that uh, you could have a really good conversation. Um, but um, let me just pray for you, Travis. Thanks for, for being vulnerable and open and, and sharing just a, a little bit of your story. Uh, so God, thanks for Travis. Thank you, God, that even though uh, sometimes the journeys you have us on um, are not what we see coming. God, thank you that you are faithful and that you're good and that you're a loving father and that you have good for us. I thank you for the testimony um, that Travis has now, uh, being happily married, God engaging in, in, in a job, in a place where he's finding fulfillment and joy and ministry and all those things and seeing your hand of, of provision along the way. Uh, God, I pray that you continue to be his joy and his strength and, and give him wisdom. Uh, in, in how to share the truth that, that you are our strength in our weakness. Uh, God, I pray that he'd be a light radiating uh, in this place. God, thank you for his story and his faithfulness and your faithfulness to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, hey, Andrew. thanks, Travis. Do you want the mic? I'll take it. Okay. Thanks, man. Well, we, uh, thanks, Travis, again. Um, We've all been sitting for a little while, so I, I want to start uh, the message here this morning by praying. So why don't you join me in standing, and we'll get the blood flowing. So let's, let's stand together as, as we pray and as we get ready to dive into the Word. Uh, so Father, we, we come in with so many distractions, and, 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 and there's just so much going on in our lives. I pray that right now you would help clear our minds, and that we would focus on you, that we'd hear from you in your Word. Uh, God... Um, take me out of the equation, and may it just be you speaking to us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Have a seat. We, uh, we just got back as a family on Friday uh, from a trip down to the States. Uh, so we went down, we took a couple of weeks and did a whole lot of driving. Um, but uh, I don't know if you're aware of all the current regulations and the state things are in, but you can get down to the states driving without any COVID hoops to jump through. But coming back across the border uh, into Canada, you have to have a negative antigen test. So they've dropped some, but you still have to have this, this test and it has to be done within a day of crossing the border. And it can't just be a self-administered one. It has to be professionally done and it's pretty complicated, especially when you have five of you who need to do this thing. And so uh, online, I found this test that I could order, and, uh, and you receive this kit, and you, you take, we take it down to the States with us, and we would do a telehealth call with a nurse, and she would certify the results. And it became the cheapest way that we could do this thing, and it all made sense. And, and so sure enough, I ordered these tests and expedited the shipping and was supposed to arrive in plenty of time for us to head down on our trip. But sure enough, uh, the guaranteed shipping meant nothing. And the tests arrived at our house the day after we left, which is not ideal. Um, thankfully, Phil, uh, in full hero mode, Phil Wambua, uh, showed up to our house. He, he grabbed these tests uh, and he brought them in, into a, a, a shipping place and 
he had to actually go to a couple of different shipping places to get it to work and had to apparently search all over the valley for a printer that worked. Uh, and eventually he got them packaged. So there's the shipping package inside of a package and he mailed it down to the States uh, and it met us there. Uh, and, and, and then it went, it went fairly smoothly. But um, we knew that there were certain expectations and requirements for us to cross the border. I could have shown up to the border with my Canadian passport and said, that's my home, let me in. But it wouldn't have gone well for me. There were clearly laid out expectations that we needed to follow in order to be admitted in. And, and an assumption that the border guard was just going to be cool about it wasn't going to work well in our favor. We would just be turned around. No matter how much I would assume, no matter how much I could plead, no matter how much I would say I belong there, there were certain requirements that had to be met and fulfilled. Um, as we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, there's this, this section in Scripture that, that we're in now um, that's all about the coming kingdom of God. And we, Jesus has been talking a lot about the, 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 the breaking in of the kingdom and that it's already started. That Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, which is the reign and the rule of God on earth. That that, that which will someday be fully fulfilled in heaven when, when Jesus finally does away with sin and sickness and death. And all of those things are finally, eventually, someday, someday the kingdom will be realized when Jesus fully reigns. And in the meantime, that we the church begin to inaugurate this thing. That, that it begins. And Jesus is talking about the day when it's going to be full, when Jesus fully reigns, when sin is dealt with, when death is dealt with. But he says that we don't know the time or the hour. He says no one knows when it's going to happen, when Jesus will return. But he, he has these stories and he's, he's calling his people to be prepared for the day that we all stand before Jesus. Whether that's the day that Jesus returns and inaugurates the kingdom or the day that we die and we stand before Jesus there are these stories that call us to be prepared. And we're going to pick that up here with a parable here this morning. Um, it's not the easiest parable. This is, I guess, my penultimate message to you. And so I, I guess it's, it's fitting that it's going, to be, it's going to be something for all of us to, to wrestle with this morning. But I think it's really important because this, this idea is really what began to change my life in a lot of ways. So Matthew 25, here on the screen behind me as well. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamp and went out to meet the bridegroom. So at first glance, that makes no sense. Let me explain it. Uh, Hebrew wedding 2000 years ago uh, had three stages. Uh, this was obviously well known in this day and age. We don't get it. The first stage is engagement. Engagement is where two fathers would get together and they would settle on a dowry, a bride price, and they would make an arrangement for their kids to get married. It was an arranged marriage. The fathers would take care of it. They would work out all the details when the kids were young. Uh, that was the first stage. Now, as a teenager, I remember this seemed like a terrible injustice. It seemed ridiculous. How could this possibly be? As a dad, man, I think this is brilliant. Hear me out, kids. Hear me out. Uh, it's brilliant. I mean, your parents truly love you. They know you. They're not invested in all the emotional, all that stuff. Anyway. Uh, it's a brilliant idea. Um, engagement. Later on, as they get a little bit older, not that much, much older, but as the, the, the couple gets a little bit older, they come to a point where they are now ready to become um, betrothed. And now betrothal was actually um, sort of like 
a legal covenant. It, it was this, they would actually have vows. So they would stand before each other in a ceremony and, and share vows where they become legally connected in a covenant together. They were legally betrothed. Um, and this is where we find Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story. They're a betrothed. They've made vows to each other. There's this legal arrangement. And, and, and then the bridegroom, the, 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 the groom goes off. There's, there's no physical consummation of the relationship at this point in the betrothal. Now, they, they make a commitment to each other. And then the man goes off and he begins to prepare their lives together. He, he builds, usually he would build a house, a room onto his father's house and prepare a place for his bride, preparing a life together. And that could take upwards of a year. And in order to break a betrothal, there actually had to be a divorce. It was that legal and that binding, but it wasn't consummated. It wasn't complete. So he would take a year, prepare life together. When he was ready, when he could prove that he could support his new bride, when he had a place for them to live, he would then initiate the wedding ceremony when he would gather 10 groomsmen. So 10 dudes. And the bride, she would gather 10 bridesmaids. And they would, they would be at each other's homes. And the bridesmaids um, were often unmarried themselves, usually unmarried. And they would wait. And the, the bridal party would come. The, the, the groomsmen would come, usually in the evening after work, in order to inaugurate the festivities. And a wedding ceremony would last seven days. This was the major social event in the area. This was, this was what everyone loved in town. This is what everyone longed for. It was this seven-day celebration of love and, 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 and of commitment and of connection and, and also this reminiscent of your time getting married and the expectation of new families and continuing on the village and the traditions. And it was just this giant community celebration. And it started when the bridegroom would go and he would fetch the ladies. Now, the bridesmaids all had torches and 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 they were to walk through town together the 22 of them would walk through town to 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 sort of start the processions to declare the party was about to begin and they would go back to his house so this party would bring the bride back to her house they would party for seven days and at the end of seven days the best man would take the the bridegroom's hand and put it on the bride's hand uh, and then hopefully everyone would leave the house. Uh, I actually think maybe that's why they had 10 groomsmen, is they were essentially bouncers. When it was time to get everyone in the house, all of the uncles who have had too much wine to get them out of the house. Um, this, was, this was the process for a wedding. And so the parable is a story about the, this procession. And these bridesmaids in particular, who have a job to do, to carry the torches... And, and to declare, to herald that the wedding ceremony is beginning. Verse 2. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Um, there's, there's no particular um, importance here placed on the virtue of these girls. And um, th there's been lots of different ways of analyzing this parable. Some will go allegory and, and try and figure that every single piece of this, from the numbers to the people to all the details, all have spiritual significance. I don't think that's what Jesus does with a parable. Jesus wants to communicate one message. There's one thing he wants to say, and we need to try and understand what is the big picture that Jesus is trying to paint with this fictional story. Verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Um, 
so these, these torches, these lamps that the women would carry were, were long sticks with this mesh-weaved metal basket. And in the metal basket, they would put a dry cloth. The dry cloth would be soaked with oil, and they would carry a flask of oil with them so in order to keep this, this thing lit. That was the expectation. That was the responsibility that these ladies had to play. They had a role to play in the ceremony, but five of them took oil with them. They were prepared... And five of them didn't. They didn't take any oil. They they weren't ready to actually play their part in this ceremony. Uh, Verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Usually this would start sort of early evening in this parable. He's he's delayed until about midnight. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Um, Sometimes commentators will will pick up on the selfishness of those who didn't share any oil. It's not about selfishness. Um, That's not the point Jesus is trying to make. What he's trying to talk about is preparedness. That these five didn't bring any oil with them. They weren't prepared for the role, the responsibility that they actually had. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. And these are the words of Jesus. To conclude the parable, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The challenging piece here is that these five foolish bridesmaids thought they were part of the feast. They were invited. They were asked to be part of the bridal party. Not only that, they, they would have had their, their garments on. They would have been dressed for the wedding, ready to go. They had a responsibility um, They were invited. They fully assumed that they were going to be feasting that night. They fully assumed they were in, but the door was shut on them, and Jesus turns them away. The wedding feast itself, this part of the parable, represents the fulfilled kingdom of Jesus. This feast is the way that Jesus describes heaven. What he's talking about is is the entrance into heaven, into the kingdom of God in fulfillment itself. See, we see that throughout the Bible that the church is called the bride. The bride of Christ is the church. And so there's this imagery that that Jesus is trying to pull all together. Jesus told the disciples that he was going to go and prepare a place for them. That's the same imagery of betrothal, that he's going to his father's house, he's going to prepare a place, and he's going to come back. And we don't know the time or the hour, but there's this imagery of a wedding, of a marriage, of a feast, of a party. And, And heaven isn't described as a dry church service for eternity. Heaven is described as a bank as a party, as a feast, as a celebration of Jesus being united finally with his church, the bride, and celebrating this union and this celebration forever. In Revelation 19, we see that the wedding feast celebrates the, the victory of Jesus, the return of Christ, when sin and death are finally dealt with. And so it's this ultimate wedding feast, this celebration, this party that Jesus is calling us to be prepared for. 
And, and the terrifying piece as I study this and as I thought about it is that not everyone who assumes they're in the bridal party is led into the feast. And it's not an insignificant number. It's not like one out of ten. It's five out of ten. Jesus is trying to get our attention. And, and this phrase where they knock on the door and they say, Lord, Lord. It's a, like a term of, of affection, of expectation. Uh, imagine, you know, we're having a staff meeting and Scott is loading everyone up on the bus. And the staff is on the bus and we're driving off to staff meeting, lunch or retreat somewhere. But Alana's not on the bus. And Alana's running. I, just, I saw you. Alana's running along the, inside the bus, right? And she's knocking on the door. She says, Scott! Scott? Right? That, there's, there's this surprise. There's a disappointment. There's some shock and some sadness in realizing, oh, 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 Lord? Lord? There's an expectation, an assumption, and then disappointment. And Jesus has used this little phrase, Lord, Lord, a few times before. We see it in Luke 6. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? The same phrase. And do not do what I tell you. And then he goes on to say, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And he talks about um, the, the building a foundation on the rock versus on the sand. But the point here is Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? but not actually do what I'm telling you to do. In Matthew 7, and this is the one for me when I was in Bible college, that really hit me between the eyes. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and it's the same image, entering into the wedding feast of the Lamb, heaven someday, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that, should, that should strike us. Those are the right words, right? For if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, they're saying the word. They're proclaiming it with their mouths. And Jesus is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, and that's on the final day. When we stand before Jesus, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I was sitting in Bible college in Wes Olmstead's class, and I heard him talk about this. And I almost fell off my chair because I was like, wait a second. Uh, I don't know that I'm prophesying, and I don't know that I've cast out demons. And I, don't, I can't list any mighty works I've done. And I go, listen, if those guys, if those guys aren't let in, then what chance do I have? It's not a, a fluffy thought. But Jesus tells, tells us this parable for a reason. That there is a danger in assumption. Assuming that God's cool. God's cool, it's me. He's going to let me in. It's like me crossing the border. If I didn't have that negative COVID test, I could assume that I'm a Canadian citizen. I have a passport. They're obviously going to let me in. They're going to be cool about it. There's a danger in assumption when there are requirements. And so what does it mean to be prepared for the wedding supper of the Lamb? Because 
I know for me, it makes me uncomfortable to go, I assume I'm there. Jesus is saying, am I actually prepared? What does it mean? Number one, I think as we see in the Matthew verse, where these guys are doing mighty works in Jesus' name, and they're doing ministry. That's even the scary thing is I'm up here preaching. It's possible to do ministry even and not actually know Jesus. And, and the first requirement, the first expectation of this border is relationship. That it's not about going through the motions. Our church attendance records are not what he's looking for. There needs to be relationship. And it's not just academic knowledge. I can know lots about Jesus, but do I know him personally? When I walk out of this building, do I know him? Do I talk with him? Do I, do I, do I listen? Am I, am I yearning to know and walk with him? That's, that's a question that each of us needs to actually wrestle with. Is, is this a religion for me where I'm going through the motions because I feel like it'll get me in? Or is there actually a relationship where I know and love Jesus? Because I can do lots for him. But he needs more than that. Relationship. The second is obedience. This one gets a little harder. To call Jesus Lord is actually to proclaim that he's king and he's in charge. And that's what Jesus says in, in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't actually listen to me? Why do you say that I'm in control, but you don't give me the proverbial steering wheel? Is there lordship of Jesus in your life? Are you prepared for that inspection? When, when you, when I, when we disagree with the Bible... What I want to do and what God says to do, don't come into alignment. Who wins that argument? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is there obedience? Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's painful, even when it costs us something, are we willing to actually not just call him Lord, but to follow him as such? The third requirement, relationship, obedience. I think the third requirement is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. Sort of the key in the Beatitudes. That blessed are we when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. That there's an expectation that we are to be pursuing God's character in our lives. Now, I don't think that we're ever any of us. I don't think any of us are going to be perfect. I don't believe it. I don't think we can ever get there. Some people say yes. I don't think so. But is there a trajectory in our lives where a year from now, we look more like Jesus than we do today? Is there a desire to have God expose sin in our lives and then not just feel remorse about it and continue on, but to actually repent of it, to release and go, Jesus, no, I want something different and, and to confess sin to each other and, and to walk away from sin. Is there a yearning and a desire for God's character in our lives? I think there's a responsibility that someday we stand before Jesus that he can see evidence of that fruit that we actually sought to know him, that we actually sought to listen, that we actually sought to be like him. 
Is there a hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And not just in our personal character, but also for justice. When when God's heart is broken for injustice in the world, are we part of the problem? Are we part of the solution? Again, that doesn't mean that we have to fix everything, but are we at least going, God, what is my part in bringing justice? To bringing healing, to bringing hope. Do we hunger and thirst for those things? And finally, what is, what's the last requirement? I think it's a heart for the lost. Again, I don't think that's a quota. But Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' final commandment is to go and make disciples of all nations. Do we have a heart for lost people? Or do we simply go, well, I'm in church and to hell with them. Do we have a heart for lost people around us? And we each have different roles that we play in in sowing and in reaping and in planting and, and harvesting, all those things. Do we have a heart for lost people and and, and playing our part in God's kingdom mission, being ambassadors in the darkness, realizing that we have a role to play here and now? What we see here in this parable of, of, of these bridesmaids, of these virgins not bringing their oil, was that they were wearing the right garments. Earlier, we see Jesus talk about this guy showing up off the street once to a wedding banquet, and he wasn't wearing the right clothes. I think what we see there is a profession of faith. To, to put on the wedding garments is a profession of faith. To say, yep, Jesus, I'm in. They were wearing the right clothes. But they didn't have any oil in their lamps, meaning they weren't prepared to play their role. They weren't prepared to actually follow through on the responsibilities they had. They had assumptions that said, ah, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe God doesn't really care. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter if I have oil. Um, maybe they thought they could just sort of mooch off somebody else. Ah, somebody else will give it to me. Maybe they thought they could buy it. And they were like, I'll take care of that later. I'll just take care of it later. I'll do that later. And and I think what we see here in this parable is that no one can do the preparations for you. No matter what your family legacy is, no matter how devout your parents are, your grandparents are, your family can't provide your preparations. You need to do it. Your spouse no matter how holy and engaged they are, no matter how much oil they have in their flask, your spouse can't do those preparations for you. And even your house church, no matter how amazing and and life-giving your house church might be, they can't give you any oil either. This is something that, that we take before God ourselves. And that Jesus looks at each of us and asks, are we prepared to play our role? Do we have oil in our flasks? We don't know the day that Jesus is returning. No one knows the hour. We don't know the day that we stand before Jesus. When our time breathing is over. We don't know that day either. And what Jesus says is, don't delay your preparations. Don't delay your preparations. But also, I think what he really wants to say is, don't assume. Because the terrifying thing in this parable is that there are many who currently believe they're in the kingdom. We're making assumptions. 
who will face a closed door. Um, That's not an easy message to proclaim, and it's not the most cheerful message to preach. But as I think about my last two Sundays with you and and, and about what God has done in my life, this was was my first wake-up call. I grew up in the church, and I kind of just assumed. I just assumed that God's cool, God's loving, he's going to let me in. But there were requirements. And I still wrestle with them. Honestly, today I I look at this list, and it forces me again to my knees to go, God, don't let me presume on your grace, but may I play the role that you are asking me to play. And I fully believe that we are saved by grace through faith. Fully believe that we are saved by grace through faith and not through works so that no one can boast. But what does it mean to have faith? I think we've often confused faith with simply a profession. Yeah, good. Okay, God, I want in. I think faith goes deeper than that deeper into relationship, obedience, a hunger for righteousness, and a heart for the lost. And so my call on you this morning, my challenge for us to wrestle with this week, because each of us needs to wrestle with it. And hopefully, hopefully you can walk out those doors and going, yes, I'm good, I've got my oil. I know I'm set. I know my priorities. Hopefully you can walk out this door simply rejoicing. But for some of us, I think we need to wrestle with, are we presuming or are we prepared? Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy and that you've made a way for us, God, and that you have prepared a banquet, a feast, a celebration for us for eternity. God, that you have dealt with sin, that you have dealt with death, rejection, injustice. God, that you are preparing a place for us, your bride, and you are coming back. You haven't forgotten us, but God, as we await your return God, help us to take seriously the expectations that you've placed on us of what it means to be in your kingdom, what it means to be your followers, your disciples. God, that we would not presume upon your grace, but that by faith we would be active parts of your kingdom, pursuing these things, bringing oil for our lamps to play our part. Jesus, for those who uh, feel discomforted right now, God, I pray that you would give them your comfort by way of encouragement and steps that can be taken to prepare. That we would not lose heart, but that we would press on towards the goal, the upward call of Christ. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.